We've been in this series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to use a couple of verses as a springboard as we, as we continue to talk about this, this issue about turning up the heat, turning up the, the focus of our Christian life. What would that look like? What, is it, what does a disciple of Christ look like? Because here's the deal. Just like I said, I don't know. I don't get. I don't understand how people make it without a local body without local believers or people that can speak into their life. Listen, every one of us needs someone that can speak into our life, right? Every one of us needs someone that can speak truth into our life, truth in love, that care about us, that love, love us, because here's the, here's the deal, here's the truth. We all have blind spots, right? Every, what, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we can, all, we can be self-deceived, we can have blind spots, and every one of us needs someone, a group of people, that can speak truth into our life. I, I think the greatest illustration of that is American Idol. I mean, we, we watch American Idol, we like American Idol, and some of my favorite uh, episodes are, are when the auditions, right? I mean, there are some people trying out that think they can sing. I mean, I would rather be pecked to death by a duck than listen to some of those people sing. I, I mean, it's like painful. And I'm thinking, I could, you know what, I could do better than that. And this individual, they think, you know what, this is my dream. I've got a gift. And, and then they're like shocked when, when the judges don't see things their way, Right. Uh, whether they, they say, you know what, you don't want me to be successful, you don't want me to be happy, you don't want me to see my dream. You're je- Some of you says, you know what, you're just jealous of me, that's it. And so that's a crazy deal. And then they get out in the hall, then Ryan Seacrest interviews them along with their loved ones or the people that they brought with them. And those people are as deceived as they are. I mean, they're not even speaking truth. My baby can sing. I mean, I don't know why they're picking on her like that, but she can sing. I mean, everywhere she goes, it's... Yeah, yeah, it, it, so every I better stop because I'll say something offensive. <laughs> it's just crazy how people can get so self-deceived and you think, can they not hear themselves? And the scripture teaches that we can be self-deceived. See, the New Testament knows nothing of a believer that was never connected to a local body, that was never connected to a church. The New Testament knows nothing of that. Fact is, the New Testament paints a totally different picture that, that we do not live life and we do not do life in isolation. Why? Because we all need people that love us, that we build relationships with, that we can, can speak truth into their life and they can speak truth into our life. And it's a little bit deeper than accountability. You know, I, I, I kind of get sick and tired of the buzzword that this accountability partners and accountability groups because it's really deeper than that. And you see it a lot of times, right? Whether a, a pastor ends up in the, the ditches and his ministry ends up in the ditches or someone's life ends up in the ditches. And they always say, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We had an accountability group. Well, I'm telling you, it is deeper than that. Can I tell you that one, one of the identifiers about your life and where your life is headed and whether you'll end up in the ditches or not, you know what that identifier is? It's not so much that accountability group. Yes, you need a group of people around you. But, but can someone correct you? Are you correctable? Not are you accountable, but are you correctable? Can someone speak truth into your life that you know that loves you and cares for you? They can say that anger is hurtful, that habit is difficult, that that behavior has got to go. Because if you're not careful, your life is going to end up in the ditches. And see, that's what happens on idle, right? I mean, there's some people that, that are on idol, and they're like, well, this is my dream. And they need someone that can speak truth in their life, but it's deeper than that. And are you accountable? And are you correctable? And is there people in your life 
Because the scripture teaches that we can be all self-deceived to where nobody can speak truth into our life and we have some destructive things in our life. And that's why the Bible teaches that the believer does not live life in isolation, but the believer lives life in, in community and connected. And, and that's why uh, t- two years ago I, I started on... on uh, I started on a on a on a journey and and on that you know what that's early uh but we'll get to it we'll get to it uh uh anyway ADD got distracted sorry but we're, we're all on this I now forgotten like everything <laughs> but God has not designed us to live in isolation and God has designed us to come into community with one another and build relationships with one another. And so it started a two-year journey. That's where I was. It started a two-year journey uh, about a couple of years ago. And we just started talking with our staff and with our pastors. What, what are the values that we hold here, dear here? What are the values? What do we want everybody at Fellowship of the Rockies doing? I mean, what does the Bible require? What does the Bible say about a disciple of Christ? And what does the Bible say about a, a follower of Christ? And what does that look like? And so we came up with our values and we started looking at some things. And, and it's just the four B's. It, it makes it easy for us to remember. Hopefully it makes it easy for you to remember that we believe the first thing is is that believing in Jesus. Everybody at Fellowship of the Rockies, we pray, is believing in Jesus. And the reason we put the I-N-G, believing in, because it's active, it's continual, that we have a church to where people are believing in Jesus and people have a relationship with him. And then it doesn't stop that. Stop there. See, that's just the starting, that's just the starting point of your journey with him, that they're believing in Jesus. The second thing is this, is that they're belonging to his family. They're, 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 they're uh, a member and they're participating in the body and they're active in the body. It's just not all about them and it's just not all about them taking, but it's about them giving of their, of their, of their, of their life and of their ministry and everything else that they're active and then and then it's the next one is becoming a disciple to where they they get the issue about life groups and people around them and people being able to speak into their life and building relationships with people so they actually know the people that they worship with and they know some of the things that are going on and the last b is this is that you're building god's kingdom into where where all of a sudden what happens in that believer's life that they understand that they are on mission for god and god has given them a mission and god has given them a passion and, and that they are building his kingdom and they're building his kingdom, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at school, whether it's in the community, whether it's the relationships that are around them. And so today we're going to just focus in on this issue about this issue of belonging to his family. So three things that are just real critical for us to understand about belonging to this family. First one is this, is that a Jesus follower is connected to God's family. That a Jesus follower is connected to his family, and they get that, and they understand. See, God designed us, I mean, all the way from Genesis, all the way through the, through, through the, through, through the Bible. God has designed us not to live in isolation, for he's the one that said, it is not good for man to be alone, and it is not good for woman to be alone. And he has created us for a relationship. He has created us for a relationship with him, and he's created us for a relationship with, with others. And so you hear all the time people push back, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, this, this, this relationship with God, that's personal. That's my personal relationship. Well, that's half truth. That is half truth. That's not full truth. You see, a lot of people, they confuse this issue with being a personal relationship with him, and they think personal means private. Man, your Christian life, 
A disciple of Christ gets it and understands that it is not private. Yes, it is personal. Yes, we have a personal relationship with him where there is intimacy and we spend time with him and we know him. But it was never designed to stay personal and private. It's personal and public. It's both. It's like marriage, right? There's a personal side of marriage where there's intimacy and there's things that are never shared outside of the house. And, and there's this, this deep, deep interim, intimacy and deep love for one another. But then it's also public, right? When you go out, people know that your husband and wife and how you relate to one another and how you do life to, with each other. And the same is true with, this, with, with the Christian life is that we were never designed to live life in isolation. That our relationship with him, if it is personal, it becomes public. Because his life begins to flow out of you. fact is, in the New Testament, you find that the believers were always connected to a body. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, where, where the local church, the church was birthed. The gospel was preached for the very first time. It was, uh, people accepted him. It was personal. But guess what? It did not stay personal. It's personal and public all at the same time. We're only going to look at these couple of verses, and we're going to use them as a springboard so we kind of get this and we understand this. Verse 41, the Scripture says, so those, who, so those who received the word were baptized, so they preached the gospel, they accepted Christ, they received him, they started a personal relationship with him, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So where were they added? Who were they added to? Those are the questions you need to ask. They were added to the local church. They were added to a local church, a local community of believers. And you find that, that, that all of a sudden they start doing life together and they start meeting together. They meet in homes and they build relationships with each other. They know one another and they pray for one another and they encourage one another. And then in verse 47, the scripture says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to whose number? To their number. Who is there? Who are they? It's the local church. That God added to their number daily. Who? Those were who, who were being saved. Those who started a personal relationship with him. And listen, I know we live in an in a individual society. Sometimes I have trouble getting words out. And sometimes we live, not all the times, but we do. We live in a society that people live in isolation. And they see these things as independent of one another. Relationship with Christ, and I'll make the decision. Whether I connect with a local body, I'll make the decision. If I, and, and guess what? God sees these two dependent on one another. Not independent. And so there's people that say, well, I just, this whole church membership thing, that's outdated. And, and you're right, because it started about 2,000 years ago. And you find in the scriptures that the first thing they did was connect and join and be a member and be a participating member of a local body. I mean, Paul, when he was Saul and the movement started, and people were accepting Christ, this movement started. You know how he knew who the Christians were? He went into the churches, and the Scripture says, and he, he got the letters. You know what the letters were? They're the membership role of local believers. I'm telling you. 
in the early birth of Christianity, there were people that pushed back about this issue of membership. You know why? They didn't want to be martyred. You know, the churches wouldn't accept them unless they were members because your relationship with him is personal, but it's also public. And following Jesus and believing in Jesus and starting a relationship with him means that you belong to the you belong to the family. I mean I mean when when you when you got married, you got a new family, like it or not. Right? Your relationship with another person gave you a new family. Like it or not. I mean they came with the deal. Okay? Just part of it. They came with the deal. And guess what? When you met Christ, we came with the deal. Now, you may have some crazy uh, spiritual aunts and uncles and some people that kind of grate on you and get on your nerves and all that other stuff, but let me tell you something. Man, we came with, we came with the deal. See, and in marriage, there are, and there are some challenges of marriage, and there is some hurt, and there is some pain, and there is some difficulty. There are some good times and celebration and all that other stuff. But you know what? We just, we just don't throw out the concept of marriage because there's difficulty, because there's hurt or there's pain. And guess what? We don't throw out the concept of church because there's hurt and there's pain. I mean, I meet people all the time that says, you know what? I did the church membership deal. And I was part of some churches and bad you know, business meetings went bad and, and church members behaving badly and church splits and hurt and pain and people not acting properly. Listen, that doesn't mean you throw out the concept. God's word is an authority in your life, not your experience. If you live life making decisions based upon your experience, your life will end up in the ditches. And see... When you meet Christ, you have a relationship with him. And you're connected to a, a body. And you have this family. And we come with a deal. And you know what that means? That means when you read about, in the Old Testament, about Moses. And he split the Red Sea. And all the miracles that he did. And Jonah in the well. And, and Noah in the ark. And all those guys. You know what you're doing? You're reading about your family. And you, when you read in the New Testament, when Jesus began to call the disciples and then the Apostle Paul began to plant churches and call uh, other disciples and people to follow them and all the stuff that went on in the New Testament, you know what you're reading about? You're reading about your family, but guess what? Because of that, you're a part of that. And then here's the crazy deal. When you read the book of Revelation, do you realize you're reading about the future of your family? I mean, you begin to read Scripture totally different, and you understand that we're connected to one another, and we have this relationship with one another, that a Jesus follower is connected, a participating member to a local body because it's personal and it's public. And there's so many reasons for that. Second thing is this. A Jesus follower is in right relationship with God's family. He's in right, he or she is in right relationship with God's family. He's in right relationship with God's people. Remember, we started this series off in John chapter 14, verse 15. And it's a, a passage that just, just God used in my life just to change my life. And the scripture says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And remember, I've told you this. My focus for many years was on obedience. It, the focus was on the commandments. And see, the problem with that, when your focus is on obedience... 
then your obedience will tell you every time that you don't measure up. You're not good enough. You cannot make the grade. And so you know what you do? You live life with guilt and shame because your obedience says that you don't measure up. And then it hit me, and then I realized that the focus is not the obedience because when the focus is obedience, that it is just like Christianity. It just weighs you. The focus is what? The love relationship with the Father. The focus of that passage is if you love me. And then the fruit of the relationship becomes obedience because the Scripture says this, that when you love him and you come in a relationship with him and you know him, then he lives his life out through you. And when he lives his life out through you, there is no obedience problem. Because you have this relationship with him. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you, bless you, I don't know if, I'm sorry. God bless you is what I should have said. <laughs> I, don't know if you, I don't know if you realize this or you see this in your life. But the more I love God, the more I love people around me. I'm telling you, the more I fall in love with God, the more I love my wife. The more I love my daughters, the more I love people that I work with, the more I love people in the community, the more I love people that are far away from him, the more I love people that kind of get on my nerves. I mean, the more that I have intimacy with the Father. When Gavin was born, I just, there's, there's some things you just never, you'll never forget and just memories. And when Gavin was born and we didn't get to touch him, and we only had like five minutes with him before they pushed him down the hall to, to NICU. And so we, we looked at him, and I still remember just, I mean, I, I can see everything, and, and the room and everything. And, and Karen turned to me and says, I think my heart just grew three times. That ever happened to you? Did God does something for you? And you realize how much he loves you and he cares about what you care about. He cares about what you're going through. He answers that prayer. He does that thing that you thought may never happen. And he does it. And you just feel your heart just expand. I'm telling you. The more that we love him and the more that we know him, the more that we love those around us, the home that we live in, the church that we go to, the people that we work with, the relationships around us. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So who's the vine? Jesus. I mean, when you do a parable, you've got to have a program. You've got to know who the players are to understand it. So the vine is Jesus. That's important. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, so he's the vine, we're the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever spends time with me, whoever has intimacy with me, that's why life journaling is so important, reading scripture is so important, understanding that. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, sometimes we get that passage wrong and we think we're just apart from him. We just can't do the big stuff. We only need him to do the big stuff in our life because we can't do that. But he says, you know what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why we abide in him. Listen, I am learning in my spiritual life, all I can do is hang on to the vine. 
That is the most important thing I will do. That is the most important thing you will do is to learn that, you know what, all that we can do is just to hang on to the vine. And so the question for you this morning, the question for me is this, what is your vine? Is it him? Or is that vine something else? That thing in your life that you think that if I lose that, I'd be totally destroyed and couldn't go on. Scriptures say that's an idol. That you're expecting something to give you that only God can give you. So what is your vine? Is it a career, a profession, education, a personality, gifts, talents, money, 401k, investments, status, hobbies, toys, things? What is it? He says, when you understand that I am the vine and you hang on to me, then I flow out of you and you live life differently. John fifteen twelve says this, says, this is, this is my commandment, that you love one another is, I have loved you. That's tough, right? I've meditated on that verse. I mean, the fact is, that verse is the first evidence of a right relationship with God is that I'm loving God's family. You realize that, right? But I mean, he set the bar pretty high, in my estimation, that you love others just as I have loved you. When I meditated on that verse, and you know what, maybe your blanks will be different than mine. Let me just give you some of mine. So I started just going through and saying, okay, okay, so, so how does God love me? Because I'm supposed to love others as he has loved me. So how has God loved me? You know what? The first thing I wrote down is unconditionally. God has loved me unconditionally. Whether I deserved his love or not, whether I turned my back towards him or not, that unbelievable thing that God has loved me unconditionally. God has loved me faithfully. Man, I don't get that. Even when, I, even when I knew him and I knew his love and I turned, like Pastor Chad talked in, in, earlier in the service, come thou fountain, that we're prone to wander. Here's what I've learned. Even when I wandered from him, he wandered after me. And he put Christians around me or put people around me or circumstances around me to remind, him, to remind me of his love and his care. He's loved me passionately. I mean, when you look at the Gospels and you look at it, you realize he has great passion. He loved me sacrificially. He, he gave his one and only son. He gave his life so that I could live in right relationship with him. And I go, wow. So I'm supposed to love people as you have loved me. I'm supposed to love people unconditionally and passionately and faithfully and, and all of those other things. And I'm supposed to love the people that I go to church with like that. And, and you can be saying, how do you do that? I mean, have you, seen my, have you seen my row lately? Have you seen the people sitting around me? Have you seen the people in my family? And I'm supposed to love them 
like he loves me? Not in your strength. See, that's where we get it backwards. No, not in your strength. That he is the vine, you are the branch. See, some of us think we're the, bro- we're the vine. That's why we don't need anyone to speak into our life. That's why we don't need it. I'll decide what's right and wrong. I'll decide how I live life. I'll decide what's wrong in my life. I'll decide what I change. Some of us, we're the vine. Hey, no, you're the branch. Man, you love me. And I'll love these people through you. 1 John 4.20 says this. So if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, listen. If you hate someone, and very few people will say that. We'll, we'll say it in better terms, in different terms, so it doesn't sound like we hate them. If you hate someone, let me just tell you, you don't have a hate problem. You have a loving God problem. That's the root. What comes out of not loving God is hating. Not, what comes out of not spending time with him in intimacy with him and understanding who he is? That's why people can be so hateful. They're not spending time in intimacy with him. If anyone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. In other words, he's self-deceived. So here goes Apostle John speaking truth into someone's life. For he do, who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God for whom he has not seen. You, you have people all the time that will tell you, well, my, my relationship between God and I, we're good. And every relationship around them is a disaster and they hate people. Let me tell you something. Your indicator that your relationship with God is good is evaluated by how are the relationships around you. How do they view you? How do you view them? And so John says that when we come into a relationship with Christ, we have a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, when he's talking about the, the church, and Jesus believed in membership of a church. Matthew 18, remember uh, when there was a conflict? And he says, how we fix that? We go to that person one-on-one. We talk to them. If it doesn't get resolved, we take two or three witnesses, and we have a conversation again. If it doesn't get resolved, we take it to the church. If it doesn't get resolved, then we put them out of the church. Remember that? So how can you put someone out of the church that's not in the church and not a member of the church? So here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So if, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so if you're given of your tithes and your offerings, what Jesus said, yes, there is such a thing as New Testament giving. And so Jesus says that if you're giving... The offering basket is coming by. And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Don't put your gift in the basket yet. First, be reconciled to your brother. Evidence of your relationship with him is lived out in your relationship with others. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come. 
and place it in the basket. It's impossible to be right with God and not be right with his family. Because he is the vine and we are the branches. The last thing is this. A Jesus follower is deepened by God's family. Started this off and talked about every one of us needs someone that can speak truth into our life. And it's not only accountability, but it's correctability. It's the reason a lot of people change churches. They don't want to be corrected. And the first time someone steps on their toes, whether it's the pastor or someone in the church, they just go look for another one. And it's a relationship with Christ that God gives us. And part of, our, part of your spiritual formation, I mean, Paul said in Galatians that he, he said this. He says, I am so burdened for you that Christ would be formed in you. Spiritual formation. Part of your spiritual formation is living life and doing life with a body of believers. It's where you learn how to forgive. It's where you learn how to sacrificially give. It's where you learn how to pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another. It's where you learn to take his word. Fact is, do you, part of spiritual formation is marriage. Christ forms you in marriage. In, in, where you learn to forgive. And you learn to, to deepen. Listen, there are... There are some things that you will never learn about God apart from being in community. I've told you my testimony. I, I went to church very few times as a child. It wasn't until my 20s that I went to church and that whole deal. And Man, I thank God for the men that poured their life into me. And I, th- I thank God for some men that, cor- <laughs> that corrected me because I needed it. And I knew they wanted the best for me, and I knew that they loved me, and I knew that there were no ulterior motives. It was in that local church that I helped discover my gifts and the talents that God has given me. It's in that church that I'm telling you that God formed me. And we live in a day in Christianity that Some of the most mature Christians that we got don't value the local church and pouring their life into someone else's life and mentoring someone and speaking truth into their life and developing them. Uh, back, to the, back to the marriage thing. I'm a better person being married to Karen for all of these years. I mean, she's taught me things about love and grace and, and when something goes wrong, you're going to laugh about it one day, laugh about it now. She's taught me some new foods to eat that I never knew existed. Right? She's taught me all kinds of stuff. And, and you know what? I would like to think that she's a better person and learned some things from me. And we're, we're just, we're different. But we've taught each other. Why? Because of community. Why? Because of, li- I, mean, I mean, Friday night, uh, I came in and she had come in late. And it was late and we decided, ah, we don't feel like going to bed. Let's watch TV. And so we watched some of her shows that she had DVR'd. And, and 
And I don't get her shows. I mean, they, they come from a lot of the women channels, and so I don't get the shows, and the commercials just creep me out. I, <laughs> I mean, it's complicated being a woman. And so, uh, I mean, it, it's so... So it's just uncomfortable. And so we watched like three or four of hers. And she says, okay, let's watch some of yours. What do you got DVR'd? You know what? I had like eight duck dynasties. And that's, I mean, that's educational viewing. That's a bunch of rednecks in Monroe, Louisiana. And there's only one thing worse than a redneck, and that's a redneck with a lot of money. Because now they could do everything they can dream up. They could just make it happen, and things are going to get shot and killed and skinned and scaled and cleaned and gutted and eaten and, and all this other stuff. And so Karen, is, she's as awkward as I am through her shows. I mean, she's watching these shows, and she's like, tell me when it's over. That's gross. That's horrible. I says, honey, it's career day at the school. Those kids need to learn how to clean a squirrel and take a frog's you know, legs off and stuff like that. That's some important stuff. So you got to tape it. It's, I'm telling you, change your life. I'm telling you. But you know what? Marriage in community, and hopefully many of you would be able to say this morning, because Ephesians 5 says part of the spiritual formation is marriage. Part of spiritual formation is what happens when you come into relationship with one another, and people care about you and speak truth into your life, and and you help each other. And the truth is this, is that the more you love God, the more you love others. Man, when you look at the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 2, and they came to know Christ, and you know what? It was natural for them to come into community with one another. It just happened. They didn't have to do any programs. They didn't have to roll out any things like the journey or anything like that and try to talk. It just happened. And see, they understood fellowship. We think fellowship is this, eating fried, well, Texas, we think it's eating fried chicken, sweet tea, fried okra, and all that other stuff, and small talk. Listen, that's not what biblical fellowship is. Biblical fellowship is this, to where you meet one another, and you open the word together, and you pray for one another, and you encourage one another, and you support one another, and you speak truth into one another's life, and you build this relationship with each other. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new command I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? That if you love one another, how is God going to reach Pueblo, Colorado? God's plan is to make himself known through us. When we understand what biblical fellowship is, when we serve one another, we minister to one another, and we care about each other, and we, 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 we give, and all of those other things. I'm telling you, there's 56 commands, imperatives in the New Testament that the only way you can fulfill is being a participating member of a local body. I'm just telling you. Pueblo, Colorado, how will they see God? When they see, okay, so watch this. So how will Pueblo, Colorado see God? When they see God's body. That's why we're the body of Christ. How do you know I'm real this morning? You see me. You see my body. You know I'm real. How will people of Pueblo see God when they see a group of people that love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, come in community with one another, and there's this fellowship that just happens. That's why First John says this. No one has ever seen God. That's why we're the body of Christ. We're ambassadors of Christ. If you love one another, God abides in us. 
And his love is perfected in us. A disciple of Christ, the life of a Jesus follower, I'm just telling you, it's all about relationships. It's about a relationship with him. And out of that relationship with him, it flows out of you to others. And life is lived differently. And then us together makes up a local body of Christ that hopefully Pueblo gets a picture, a glimpse of what God is like. The journey starts with this, believing in Jesus. And if you come to the place in your life where you've accepted him and asked him to come into your life, because that's where it starts. Do you understand that your sin separates you from God? And that when you ask him to come into your life, you get, you not only get eternal life, but you get us. (laughs) And you get a group of people that are imperfect. We've never claimed to be a perfect church. I've never claimed to be a perfect pastor. I'm an imperfect pastor following a perfect God. And asking a group of people that are imperfect to follow a perfect God. And as a result of that, to love people at a deeper level to where they know and they get a glimpse of what God is like.